Galatians chapter 1. Verses 11 through 24. It says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, nor was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard of my conversation time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But it would please God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the thing which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. <clears throat> I titled this message this evening, Certifying the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, taken from verse 11, but I certify you, brethren. The word certify simply means to make known. You know, the revelation or revealing of Jesus Christ, which is what the Word of God is, and we, when we speak of that, we're not simply referring to the gospel as pertaining to salvation, but to the whole Christian faith of life, of living for the Lord, you know, the practice of the churches. The gospel is more than just, I'm saved, and that's it. It's more than that. It's a life. It's the abundant life of making known or, or certifying, making known the gospel of Christ. You know, it is a life. Yes, it is a life of trials and tribulations. But who in the world doesn't have those? I mean, the unsaved have them. So, yes, it is a life of still trials and tribulations as long as we dwell in this sin-cursed earth. But it is a life with a Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. It is a life with a comforter, a helper, a strengthener through life's pilgrimage. It is more than, well, I'm saved and just live my own merry way. The Christian life encompasses salvation through eternity. So as we think about the gospel, or certifying the gospel of Jesus Christ, first of all, we notice that the cornerstone of the gospel is Christ. In verses 12 and 16, the Bible says here, For I neither received it of man, of course this is Paul speaking under inspiration, Neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then again, verse 16, To reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So, you know, he, he speaks of the, you know, he, this was revealed to him, and it is the revelation, or the gospel, of Jesus Christ. You know, he is the focal point. He is what the Bible refers to in other places as the cornerstone. Even in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 28, 16, it speaks of him as a 
precious cornerstone. Isaiah 28, 16 says that, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. And of course, Peter refers to that passage. He doesn't quote it verbatim, but he says this in 1 Peter 2, 6, Wherefore also does contain the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now, what is significant about a cornerstone? Well, if you're a builder, you know what's significant about a cornerstone. There's two things that I think that's significant about a cornerstone. First of all, it is the starting point. It's where you begin a building. Uh, when, you, when you begin to lay out the frame of the building, you start at the corner. It's the first block you lay, or the first stone you lay. It's the cornerstone. And all the rest, the position of all the rest are determined by it. Um, so it is the starting point. He is the beginning. He, you know, Peter said, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Of course, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, the Bible tells us there, 1 Corinthians 3.11, For other foundation could no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And in Peter's testimony in Matthew 16.18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, speaking of himself. He is the chief cornerstone. He's the chief rock. In Ephesians 2.20, again, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So he's the starting point. He's the beginning. He's also the ending of all things. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. So he is the starting point. But a cornerstone, secondly, also brings walls together. A cornerstone will bring two walls together. It's a joint, if you will. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 14 through 16. He says, for he is our peace. In other words, he brings us together. Christ Jesus brings us together, brings us together with God. Who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, so, a cornerstone brings walls together. There, you know, think about it this way. Without Christ, there are walls that exist. Now, I'm not talking about literal walls. I'm talking about things and differences between people that will separate people. Without Christ, there are walls. There are people that believe different things. There are people that believe it's, it's, it's their religious right to kill you. you know, it makes you at enmity, or they at enmity against you. There are, you know, there are irreconcilable walls. Without Christ, there's a wall between God and man. That's irreconcilable. And there are irreconcilable walls between men and men without Christ. But because he is the, the chief cornerstone, he can bring 
and if he can reconcile people, men to God and men to men. And, and this passage is talking here about both. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, for example, in Romans 5.10, speaking about the, bringing us back to God, he says in Romans 5.10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. 2 Corinthians 5.18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us a ministry of reconciliation. So, so God reconciles, or he removes the barrier that's between us and him through Jesus Christ. He paid our sin debt so that we could be reconciled or have the wall removed between us and God. But not only does it remove the wall between us and God, it removes the walls between people. And that's what Paul's referring to here, particularly when he says that in verse 16, notice he says, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body. What's he talking about both? Well, go up to verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. So, so when First, the uncircumcision is talking about the Gentiles. When he refers to the circumcision, he's talking about the Jews. How do the Jews do the Gentiles? Dogs. As outcasts. Strangers. Notice it goes on here. At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In other words, He's the peace to the circumcision, and he's our peace to the uncircumcision, or to the Gentiles. So he is, and hath made both, again, the Jew and the Gentile. When he speaks of both, that's what he's talking about there. And so, and he hath made, and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So, <coughs> so he, through Christ, this enmity between men and men is removed. The wall is taken away. Because the Lord Jesus Christ brings men together. In fact, in Colossians, I thought I had that passage wrote down, but in Colossians chapter, I think it's chapter 1, or it might be chapter 2, Actually, it's chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. He says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, there are no distinctions. There's no class distinctions. There's no racial distinctions uh, in, 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 in the church between a Jew and a Gentile. We're all one in Christ. And God removes. You know, you can be a city slicker or country boy and get along in the same church. Uh, <clears throat> why? Because we are made one. The wall that's between us is done away in Christ. You know, everything in the Christian life rises and falls on what we know and believe or accept about Jesus Christ. His person. You know, the, being the God-man our, and our reception of him as Lord and Savior. And, and when we receive him for who he is, 
He removes the, the walls that are between us. So, so he is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. Secondly, Paul says here, we're certified. It is certified by his chosen. And again, verse 11, it says that I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached to me is not after man. The word certify here means to make known. So Paul said, I'm making known. Uh, he uses also the word revelation and the, and the word reveal in verse 16. And the word revelation means a disclosure of truth, instruction concerning divine things before unknown. The word reveal means to uncover, to lay open, to, again, to reveal things unknown. So Paul is certifying, he's making known things that were before unknown. You know, that's the way it is. When you get saved, you, you learn things that you didn't know before that were unknown to you. I mean, the Bible is a closed book to an unsaved man. I mean, he can read it. But it's sort of like a missionary I knew. He was a big burly truck driver. And he got saved when he was 39 years old. He was a, a good church-going Methodist all his life until he got saved. When he got saved, he became Baptist. But he said, he said, I read the Bible all my life. Now I always thought it was the dumbest book I ever read. Until I got saved. See, he never understood it. You see, when we get saved, the Spirit of God begins to teach us, instruct us. Of course, you get into a Bible, a Bible uh, preaching church, a New Testament church, and you, you have the word preached, and you begin to understand, and things become known that be before unknown. But Paul is here revealing things that be before unknown. And he was called, verse 15, the word called there means, he says in verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, uh, means to select or to assume some office, to summon to do something. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, Moses was chosen or selected to lead the children of Israel. He says, come now therefore I will send thee unto Pharaoh, thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Uh, we're in Numbers chapter 27 for a minute. Numbers chapter 27. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 27 and verse 16. And God uses men, and we see here the, the calling or the, the choosing of or the selecting of of Joshua in Numbers 27, verse 16. It says, Let the God, the God of all spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, of course this is Moses speaking, which may go out before them, which may go in before them, which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of lay hand, thine hand upon him, to set before him, him before Eliezer the priest, before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. Thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. 
And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest, before all the congregation. He laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So here you have one who's being called or selected to assume this leadership who Moses is about to vacate because of his striking of the rock. And in Hebrews 4, 5, 4, speaking about Aaron, and he says, And no man taketh this honor on himself, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. So, so as we think about being certified by his chosen, or making known by his chosen, the, the apostles were specifically chosen to make known and to reveal the person work of Christ. They were specifically chosen. You know, Jesus had more than 12 disciples. But he chose 12 and called them apostles. There were 120 in the upper room. But he chose out of those 120, 12. And they were the pastoral staff, if you will. And John 17, 8, he says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So the, these, the apostles were specifically chosen and, you know, he, he, the Bible makes reference to this effect, this, this principle, this truth, in several places. For example, in Acts chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them, again, the apostles, forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, again, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? We're speaking about the apostles. So the apostles were specifically chosen to, 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 to reveal the person of Christ, to make him known uh, to us. Uh, some were specifically chosen to reveal Christ to us by writing Scripture. Second Peter 2 Peter 1, 2.21, I'm sorry. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So these were not just holy men. They were holy men of God specifically chosen to pen down the words of the Lord. You know, there were a lot of holy men besides Paul and Peter and Mark and Matthew and John. And uh, who have I missed? James? You know, there was lots of holy men. But there was only a few that were chosen, specifically chosen, to, to be used of God to, by inspiration to, to give us the, the scriptures. But Paul, but, but, but let's go further here. Paul was specifically chosen to take the gospel to the Gentiles and give us New Testament church doctrine. In Acts 13, 2, he says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein to have called them. Now go to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And Paul speaks about his specific calling to go to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 26, verse 12, here he's giving his testimony before King Agrippa and Bernice and Festus, the governor. 
And he says, when I, Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them that journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness before these, witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I would appear unto thee. Deliver and leave far from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. So, so there he was specifically sent to the Gentiles. says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, to, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So he was... He was chosen to take the gospel of Gentiles, but he was also chosen to give us New Testament truth, New Testament doctrine, church doctrine. Go look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Notice he makes, makes reference to his calling there to the Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. Now, dispensation is a period of time. You know, there, are, there are what we call dispensations in the Bible. One of them would be the law. It went from the law until you come to Christ. That was the period of the law, or the dispensation of the law. You know, there's, there's what we call the dispensation of innocence. And that was from the time of Adam and Eve were created until they fell. And then, then we call it conscience. Man was governed by his conscience. And that was until the flood. Uh, and so, you know, there are dis different time periods in the Bible. And Paul here is speaking about the dispensation of the grace of God, which is the time period we're living in. It's the time period of the New Testament churches. And he said, it's given me to you word. How that by revelation, and again, God's revealing something here before unknown through Paul. He made known unto me the mystery, that's, uh, that's what a mystery is, something for unknown, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles, and here's the mystery, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You see, the mystery is that the Gentile can be a member of the body of Christ just like the Jew. You see, in the church, we're just one in Christ. There's no distinction anymore between Jew and Gentile in the church. And it says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So Paul was specifically chosen or selected to give us, not only to take the gospel of the Gentiles, but to give us New Testament church doctrine. 
And of course, we, we can go on. Pastors are specifically chosen to feed or teach or to mature saints. Titus 1.5, Paul tells Titus to ordain elders. That means to appoint, to set in place. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, Paul tells us what the pastor's purpose is. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So, so here, you know, in this passage, God says he's given pastors to teachers, <coughs> the same person, that are chosen or selected to feed or to mature the saints so they're not carried about. They're not tossed to and fro. They don't follow this guy, then follow this guy, then follow this guy. No, they follow the word of God. You see, the problem with many Christians is they don't have feeding pastors. They're not being fed the word of God. They're not being instructed in the word of God. I was at a my family was at a meeting one time and this visiting pastor got up and said about the pastor of this church uh, you know about uh, you know him being a man of God and so on and so forth and all that and he said uh, he said uh, um, that's why this church is 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 um, and I can't remember exact words but anyway you know good and all that and it's because God chooses a man and and um, and and uh, some of the fact people follow man. The, and the impression that and my, my children asked me about it later, I thought maybe I was reading him wrong. But they said, "Dad, it makes it sound like it all evolves around the pastor." I said, "Yeah, that's what's wrong with most of our churches, because the people in the, con- in the congregation are just fed milk and not fed meat, and they're not thoroughly grounded. And if something happens, to the pastor, the church goes." just falls apart. Why? Because they haven't been taught. They haven't been taught all the word of God, all the counts of God. So, so pastors are chosen to feed, to teach, to mature the saints. That they might understand the scriptures of what our purpose is in life. And all of us, all of us have been chosen to make him known. You know, in 1 Peter 2.9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, that you should show forth uh, that you should show forth the praise of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous night light. Um, marvelous light. You know, 2 Corinthians 3 3 tells us that we are living epistles, known and read of all men. 2 Corinthians 5 20, we're to be ambassadors for Christ. So we're we are chosen then. To make him known. You've been certified. Make him known. So there are, there are those that are certified to be chosen to make him known. And then I want you to notice the third thing. The converting power of the gospel. So we see the cornerstone. We see the chosen. But I want you to notice the con- converting power of the gospel. In verses 13 through 24. Paul said, You have heard of my conversation in time past in Jewish religion, 
how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. We see here the converting power of the gospel. You know, to convert means to turn. We would say it's to do a 180. It's to turn around. You know, when I was young, I'd hear about guys trying to do 180s in their cars. I never did that. I didn't have a car that would, and I had to buy my own tires, so I didn't do it. Only in the snow. The only time I ever did a 180 is in the snow. But... Through the saving power of God, Paul has done a 180, a complete 180. Think of it. He has persecuted the church, the followers of Christ, whom he now preaches. Go back to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. <clears throat> Verse 8 says, and again, he's before King Agrippa and Bernice and Festus. Festus is the governor. King Agrippa is the son of Herod of Acts chapter 12. Remember the Acts chapter 12 Herod and later he was eaten of worms? Okay, he's the son of this Herod. Bernice is his sister. And they're living in incest. They're a wicked pair. But they have very good knowledge of things going on in Jerusalem and, of course, they would have first-hand knowledge of things around Christ, what had to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. So here they are. They're sitting in court. Paul is being questioned and asked to testify. And this is what he says in verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison. Having received authority from chief priests, and they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and be exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted even them to strange cities. I don't know if we have recorded all that Paul said in his testimony. But think about what he's, what he's saying there. He said, I persecuted Christians. I helped make the wife of Stephen a widow. And his children fatherless. 
Some children's parents I put in prison. Acts 8.3 says he's hailing men and women. You know, I, Paul could have said, I treated people who Christ died for with hatred and disdain. I treated women roughly. I was full of hate and vengeance against anyone who wasn't like me. Whether they were Gentiles, whether they were Romans, or whether they were Christians, I really hated them. But he said now, now those, the one I persecuted, Is it any wonder that Festus says, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. In other words, you're a crazy man. You're a lunatic. See, now Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. It changed my life. Now I'm a teacher of the Gentiles, teaching about Christ. Now I teach that you're to be subject to the higher powers. That is the Romans. Romans chapter 13. Now I teach that you're to love one another. You're to feed your enemy. You're giving drink if he's thirsty. We're to give none offense, neither the Jews nor the Gentiles nor the church of God. I have purpose with honor, truth, and purity. So Festus said, you're beside yourself and you're mad. You're not normal. You are just plain crazy and out of your mind. And of course, in verse 29, Paul says, response to that, and he says, and Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. See, Paul could say, I now have the peace of God. I have God's grace to strengthen me. See, what happened? Well, it's the power. The power of God to transform or to convert a life. Do you have God's grace and God's peace? Has God transformed your life? You know, if, when God changes or, or converts a person, one of the things God will bring into your life is reconciliation. You, you, long, no long, you might have enemies, but you will be no man's enemy. We shouldn't be any man's enemy. We may have enemies. We do have enemies. You know, Islamists are out to kill us. But we're not out to kill them. only to defend ourselves. I mean, I don't walk down the street looking for an Olamas to shoot. I'm not out to kill them. Well, some of them do that. I'm not looking for Democrats to spit on. You know. No, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be anybody's enemy, though we do have enemies.
You see, Saul, or Paul as we know him, was converted, then he was chosen to make known the gospel of Christ, the cornerstone that can reconcile men to God and men to men. You know, one of the statutes, statues at the United Nations, um, and I, I'm not sure exactly what the statue exactly looks like, but I think it's uh, got a plowshare and, a, and a, a sickle. But anyway, on the inscription is a quote, I think it's from Isaiah, where it talks about turning your swords into plowshares. And of course, you know, the liberal theology behind the United Nations is that man is naturally good, and if we just make his environment right, then they'll give up their arms and we'll all become friends. The reality is man is a sick, sinful, wicked creature, and that will never happen unless they get saved. But you see, when a person gets saved, they don't take the sword. They don't take to the sword. Only in self-defense, if necessary. You know, I've said many times, I will... I will, I'm not afraid to defend myself, but I would not want or have no desire to have to take a life. That's a life that God made. You see, but only Christ has the power to reconcile men to God and men to men. See, he is the chief cornerstone. We need to make him known, to certify, to make known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the answer to the world's problems. That's the answer to our problems, is the Lord Jesus Christ.